Good morning. It's, uh, it's fun to be able to share the Word of God with you. Um, my name is Josh Walker. If you haven't seen me up here before, I'm one of the elders here at the church. Uh, I get the uh, opportunity to do this about every few months or so. And so uh, if you don't like me, just come back next week. There'll be someone different. Um, <laughs> easy as that, right? Um, so you guys enjoying summer, right? You guys experienced spring, right? Spring was last Tuesday from 3 to 4. Um, just... I was like, what happened, right? I, I kind of was shocked by this whole thing. It was like 88 degrees or something yesterday. It was a beautiful day, right? Aren't you glad you weren't inside studying to preach tomorrow? Um, <laughs> like I was, yeah. Went for a nice little walk. I was like, wow, I wish I'd go for a hike, but no. Uh, that, yeah, got to be responsible every once in a while. Um, so just a reminder, Todd brought us, oh, I got to remember. I got this little thing here. Um, Todd brought us back to the book of Hebrews and was bringing us back, especially this idea that Jesus is our great high priest and that that reality of Jesus being our high priest gives us access to God and gives us confident access to God, that the God of the universe has opened himself up to us and we're able to have access to him and there's all kinds of beautiful things that go with that. And the, and the author of Hebrews wants to continue along this theme, but when we, we get to the section that we're getting to, he basically has to stop for a second and um, he says, basically, i got to stop because I've got an issue with you guys. I have to stop because I'm concerned for your souls. I'm, I'm concerned about where you're at, and it, it's, it hinders me from being able to share with you what I want to. And I think about it like, as a pastor, there's times um, where you want to share things with certain people, but they're not quite mature enough to handle it yet. And so you kind of have to hold back. And it, for those of you that are parents, you kind of know what this is like. I, as a parent, I, there's things I want to share with my kids. There's things I want to do with my kids. And I, I want to take them and do stuff with them. And I think of this time, I took my son backpacking, and he was probably a little too young, especially for the weight of the pack I put on him. But I was so excited to take him backpacking, right? And so I, I weigh him down, and, and we're about a, a mile from where our campsite is, and he's done. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. God actually sent some people with horses with empty packs to carry our packs for us. It was an amazing kind of story. But I think of like that, that's the kind of thing that he's doing here. It's not because he's going to give kind of a rebuke and a bit of a warning, but the heart behind the author of Hebrews is like a parent who loves his kids and wants them to grow into maturity, Right? It isn't to be a stinging rebuke of discipline, but it's instead, I, I want so much more for you, and what you're doing is holding you back from growing into um, what you can grow into. And so the warning here is both kind of for the whole congregation, but also for individuals as a whole, because you know Todd talked a few weeks ago about how we're like a family, and in every family, there's people at various levels of maturity, and so in, in what we're going to talk about, it's going to kind of hit everyone differently. Because as a family, we've got people at all levels of spiritual maturity here. And also, the reality is that we have people here that are very sensitive to God's spirit, and there are people here that harden their hearts regularly to God's spirit. And he's writing to all of us to say, Here's, I, you need to hear what you need to hear. And so we've got to trust the spirit of God to apply this into your life and into my life in a very specific way and not just kind of in the general way. So he begins here in verse 11. So, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 11 and work our way down into chapter 6. And really, this is the first part of a two-part thing that Christian's going to finish next week. Um, next week, he's this kind of severe warning that he's going to give. And I said, Christian, you can have fun with that. Um, I'll, I'll do the part that's a little bit easier. So he starts here, and he says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
So the first thing he lets them know is that he's got a lot more to say on this topic, right? And we're going to see that he does. He's still going to unfold it. He's not going to say like, okay, well, you're dull of hearing, so I'm not going to do it. He says, I'm still going to do it, but here's the problem is you have become dull of hearing or sluggish. They're kind of, they've become where they used to be sharp, they have now become slow. And note that it is not that the subject matter that's difficult. When he says, this is, um, it's hard to explain, it's not that the issue itself is hard to explain, but see the word since? It's hard to explain because you are not sharp enough spiritually to understand it. So it's their sluggishness. It's not the topic itself. It's their sluggishness or their dullness, spiritual dullness, that has led to the point of him not being able to share it with them. And the way he says it, you have become, implies that there was a point when they weren't. He's implying that there was a point when you were spiritually sharp and now you have become spiritually dull. And I think that there's some of us that kind of resonate with that. We look back at points in our lives where we're like, man, there was a point in my life where I was just, I was hungry for Jesus and I just love to pray and I love so many things and, and I feel like I've just kind of gotten a little dull. And that's, that's who he's wanting to write to. He's wanting to write to you and say, let's sharpen those things again. Let's remind ourselves and renew that vigor and that spiritual vitality, the, the spiritual sharpness, right? It's like a knife that was once sharp, but you haven't sharpened it and you've used it too many times and the kids took it in the backyard and used it to cut some wood and, right? and it's become dull and chipped and he's saying, that's what's happened to you. You were once sharp, but now you've become dull. I think of it sometimes, we're, it's like we're living on the fumes of our past, Right? Often when we first come to Christ, we're like hungry for Jesus and we just devour things and then slowly the world kind of pushes in and we get distracted and we start to not be as sharp as we used to. See, the problem is just because you may be mature now or you once were mature doesn't mean you will continue to be. It actually takes work to continue to grow. That we have to be growing continually continually being trained, continually being sharpened by one another. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. Now, I want you to see that this is actually the point of the entire passage from here until Christian finishes. So 5.11, he says you become dull of hearing. 6.12, it's actually the same word in the original language, just translated two different ways. So you may not be sluggish. You see, this is his concern. You have become sluggish. I don't want you to be anymore. You've become dull. I don't want you to be anymore. And so that's the whole point of kind of this admonishment, encouragement, rebuke, and warning is for you to once again be restored to a place of sharpness so that you can understand these things. Now, how does this happen? I think, you know, when I think of kind of my own life and I'm like, how does this happen that people who are once sharp become dull? And I think one of the biggest things in the culture around us is distractions, we live in a world of a thousand distractions that can take us from all sorts of things. Anybody have one of these? I mean, how many distractions are on this thing? I, I took Facebook off of mine because it was such a distraction for me. I found that I didn't engage with people the way that I used to. I didn't engage with God because the first thing, I have a minute, I'll open up the Facebook app and I'll do this, Right? And I'll just kind of flip through and waste a bunch of time. I get distracted by it instead of engaging. You can spend that time engaging with the Lord, engaging with people around you. And I just think we have a world that's full of distractions. This is only one of many. And the enemy loves to get our eyes off the ball, loves to get us distracted by all kinds of things. So that was one that I was thinking about. The other one, I think the other reason we become dull is not just because of distractions, but is because of lack of motivation. And the reason we start to lack motivation is because our hearts get drawn to other things. 
Our heart's affections begin to be given over to other things. And those things that may have just been kind of a momentary distraction begin to be the thing that gets our heart and our love and our desire, and we start to turn that way. And as our our heart's affections are drawn to other things, our motivation to be near to the Lord, to be sharp spiritually, starts to wane and starts to dwindle. Now, a key point for me here is that as he is looking at all of this, the reality is that to grow takes intellectual, spiritual, theological, etc. effort. It takes work, and his point is it's worth it. The effort is worth it. I think sometimes we, we tend to distinguish between like uh, learning with our minds and things that the Spirit does, right? As if, as if going and, and studying is something that the Spirit isn't in. It's like, no, I, I just want to be led by the Spirit as, as if being trained is not part of being led by the Spirit. And certainly there are times where when we study, we grow into dullness. But I don't think most of the problems of the people in the book that he's writing to were that they studied too much, And I think we've got to realize that when we study, God uses by his spirit, he teaches us, and then he works in us to change our behavior. That if if you've seen or you've experienced the kind of study where you become farther from the Lord, I would suggest to you that's because that was the predisposition of your heart or of their heart to start with. It was to learn not to grow nearer to the Lord, but it was to learn in order to get more knowledge. And certainly that can be damaging. But we have to understand that there is work involved. There is spiritual, theological, intellectual, mental effort that is entailed in our growth. And he's going to, later on in the passage, emphasize that even more. So he moves on. And he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. And so he sharpens his rebuke to a very specific thing. He says, your dullness is manifested by the reality that you are of an age, and we see that when he says, by this time, right? Basically, you are of an an age where you ought to be behaving this way, but you're not. Instead, you're behaving this way. You ought to be able to lead others, but instead, you're basically still having to learn the ABCs. You should be able to teach other people how to spell by now, but instead you're still learning how to spell, right? The basic elementary principles. And when he says that you ought to be teachers, he doesn't mean necessarily the office of teacher. He's not saying that all of them should have been able to stand up in front of a group of people, but he's saying you ought to have been able to take what you have learned and pass it on to somebody else. And instead I'm having to write to you and explain things that you should be the ones that are actually explaining to others. Right? So he's chastising them because they should be by this time able to do this. And he begins to talk about this idea of basic principles. He's going to talk about elementary doctrines. He uses different phrases through here, but it's this, it's this kind of foundational teaching. And that I think that within the context of Hebrews, we're going to talk about kind of different angles of looking at this, but the basic principles that he's talking about here are especially nearness and access to God. Right, that was the emphasis that Todd had last week and the emphasis that we've had through the book and the emphasis of, of the high priesthood is that we in the new covenant how have access to God. It's not like a tabernacle where we're outside and we're outside the gate and we're all the way out here, but we can enter all the way in and we have this access before the throne that one of the basic, basics of the faith is that we have nearness and access to God, that we have in the fullness of the new covenant a reality that is so much better than the old covenant that we have union with Christ, that we are united with him, that we are adopted into his family, all of that. We have fellowship with one another, true intimate fellowship that we can share with and encourage and rebuke and all that sort of stuff one another. And we have the ability to be transformed by the study of God's word, right? Later he's going to talk about how God's word acts like this sword that can slice us up and dice us up. 
And he says, look, these are the basic principles. This is what he's talking about in the larger context of the book. And he continues on with this idea. He says, but you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now, milk versus solid food, I think we get the picture pretty clearly, right? I thought about doing an illustration, but uh, could have gone a weird direction there. Okay, let's just, let's just be honest here. In his day, as he's writing, there, weren't, there was no infamil, right? There were no bottles. There wasn't formula that he's saying that, look, you should be of an age where you're able to eat solid food, but instead you are breastfeeding. You are still nursing. Now, the picture is pretty clear, right? If, if, you see a five, if you see an infant nursing, that's a beautiful thing, right? It's a beautiful thing. That's what they ought to be doing. If you see a five-year-old doing the same thing, it's weird. I hope you all agree with me. I mean, there might be something like, no, I'm good with that. I hope you all agree with me. That's weird, right? And that's his point, right? He's, it's just, it's kind of a little bit graphic, but it ought to make us kind of cringe, just in the same way that if you saw a five-year-old say, hey, mom, can I have a drink? And she'd you'd be like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> He's saying that when, when I look at you, that it's weird. You are old enough to be feeding yourselves, to be eating solid food, and instead you're still on the milk. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, and we see Peter and uh, Paul says very similar things. It's this this picture of infancy versus kind of toddler and growing into maturity, that this is the change that happens as you eat differently. And so what he's telling them is, look, you're refusing to grow up. And one of the ways we refuse to grow up is in the way that we think. And he wants to tell them new things. He wants to help them think new things. And he's saying, you just don't want to grow up in these things. But it's not just our thoughts, it's our behaviors. And what do we call it when someone doesn't grow up in their behavior? We call it arrested development, which is a funny TV show, not recommending it, lest I get myself in trouble. But right, arrested development, you, you stopped at a place where you shouldn't have stopped. You should have grown on into maturity, but instead you stopped. And I want to highlight that there's a difference between childish and childlike. Childish is a bad thing. It's what he's talking about here. It's when you ought to be mature, but instead you act like a kid. Childlike, which Jesus emphasizes as a good thing, being childlike is the idea of understanding the simplicity and being able to, to come with that full kind of trust. So we should be childlike, but not be childish, as he's saying that they have become here. Now, what exactly is this, you know, basically they're still learning the ABCs, they're still on milk, they're still talking in baby talk when they ought not to be doing those things. They're, you know, it's like teenagers running around going, ah, blah, 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 which sometimes they do, and that's just weird, but, um, sorry, ideas pop in my head right as I'm up here. Um, He's saying, look, you shouldn't be like that. Now, what in particular is he talking about? Well, I think as we kind of move forward, we're going to see that the the main thing that he's talking about in this larger context of the book of Hebrews is that you guys are kind of wanting to go back to the old covenant ways. That you came out of this old covenant and there were certain structures about it and certain things and you kind of like that and you walked into the new covenant and you had all this stuff and you've decided, you know what, I kind of want to take some steps back and I wanted to stay back here. I want to stay back in the, the childish ways. And he's saying, no, you need to move forward. And so it continues on in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, right? Continuing the analogy. For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish 
good from evil. Okay, so there's a little phrase in there, trained by, that tells us that growing up takes work. Right? Growing up is not something that you just, just happens to you. So, I mean, obviously, physically, if you take a baby and you continue to feed them, like, they do get bigger. We all know that part. And they, they mature in certain ways. But if you're not training them, they're not going to develop in other ways. Right? And that's how they'll end up with arrested development. You have to be being trained. And as he's talking here spiritually, we have to continually be being trained. And I think of like that picture of an athlete, that an, an athlete trains himself through physical exercise, through mental discipline. They're very careful about what they eat, right, what they take into their body. They're very disciplined with their time. They're up early to bed early, right? Before a meet, they're going to go to bed early. There's just all kinds of things that go with that. They're, they're disciplined about even the, their relationships so that they're not distracted by a whole bunch of things. That's what it looks like for an athlete. And I take those over and I said, that's, that's what it ought to look like for us. That we ought to have that same sort of spiritual discipline that an athlete has for their own body. That we ought to be careful what we consume, that just like they are careful what they eat, it's not about the food, but we ought to be careful about what it is that we consume. We ought to be disciplined with our times, not easily distracted by all the things that are around us. We should be intentional with the relationships that are around us. And when I say that, I don't mean, oh, just surround yourself with good people. Don't hear it that way. You ought to be very intentional about there ought to be some unbelievers that are around you. There ought to be some younger in the faith people around you, and there ought to be some people older in the faith around you. Right? That you've got all kinds, but you're intentional about it. It's not just, well, it's kind of whatever happens along the way. You see, for, for them, I think their, their tendency is to move towards legalism. Right? They're wanting to move out of just the relationship and into a state of, just tell me what to do, and I know that when I do it, and I do it the right way, that I'm right before God, and I, I'm wanting to move into this situation. But some of us tend towards the other side, and we talked about this back in First uh, Corinthians. We tend towards the size of licentiousness, of kind of doing whatever we want. Now, I would suggest to you that both of these positions, whether it's legalism or licentiousness, the root of both of them is laziness. It's over here saying, I don't want to think about things. Just tell me what to do. Right? Just tell me what to think. Tell me what to do. And once I do it, then I'm all good. I don't want to have to think and actually work through that stuff. And over here, they're saying, yeah, not only do I not want to think about it, I don't want to think about the consequences. I just want to do whatever I want to do. I want to do whatever feels good. And in the middle where we ought to be is to say, no, both of those are expressions of laziness spiritually and that I'm going to be disciplined and train myself so that I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to actually think through stuff. I'm not just going to say, oh, well, this, you know, that's the way it is. I'm going to think through things and I'm going to think through them biblically and I'm not going to do just whatever I feel like. I'm going to discipline myself so that I don't do that, right? So we, we have a tendency to fall off one side or the other instead of walking the path that is right down the middle between them. Now, when we look at verse 14, this verse is tiring, right? Trained by constant practice. Ugh. That just sounds tiring. So I got to do this all the time? Yeah, you got to do it all the time, right? And that's how you grow, and that's how you grow in maturity. And for him, he highlights a key issue here is discernment, distinguishing between good and evil. Mature people are able to distinguish Good things from evil things, good doctrine from false doctrine, good behavior from false behavior or evil behavior. And they have achieved that through constant practice. Now, the funny thing is that when I talk about discernment, discerning between good and, and evil things, and um, 
I think there's some of you that are out there that are like, uh-huh, that's exactly right. And you're, you're kind of amening me, although not publicly because we don't do that. Um, but in your heart, you're amening me, right? And you're like, yeah, that's right. We ought to, you know, and it's all those people are doing all those bad things and we should be calling them out for it. I honestly think that in that discernment, it goes both ways. That we need to be able to discern the people certainly that are calling evil things good. And we've got a lot of that going on. We've got a lot of people calling things that are corrupt and evil and saying, no, that's a good thing and it's a beautiful thing and God made it that way and all that kind of stuff. But I think equally, and some of you that were, are so excited about that, actually you fall off this side, which is to call good things evil. To go beyond what God has written in terms of, no, this is what you're not supposed to do. And what we want to do is, well, well we don't even want to get close to it. So what we're going to do is we're going to build kind of walls that go farther out even beyond it. And I think that to have right discernment is to both rightly understand, no, that's actually a good thing. That's not as bad as you're saying it is, but that's an evil thing even though you're saying it's good. Now he changes his tone here. As he moves into chapter six, he stops saying y'all. He's been saying y'all up to this point. And now he says us, we. And when he moves into the rebuke, when Christian's gonna get to next week, he's gonna talk about that person. Right? He actually changes the way that he talks about it. He's like, okay, y'all ought to be more mature, but let's do this together. He gets to here. And then he's gonna get to the warning and say, but there's some people that are kind of like this. And then he comes back to y'all and says, but I'm pretty confident that y'all aren't like those people, right? And so it's just interesting the way that he, he goes through it, and Christian will lay out the rest of that. But he, he moves on in chapter six to this. Therefore, right, you're, you're in this state, you ought to be in this state. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we'll get to verse three in a minute. So he says, okay, it, we need to move on. Now, when he says move on, notice that what he calls the elementary principles of Christ is a foundation, right? So moving on from the foundation doesn't mean you lay a foundation and then you leave it, right? It's you build a foundation, and if it's a solid foundation, you build on top of it. So he's not saying these are things that you, you forget about, that you go away. In fact, they're the very bottom foundation of everything else that you build on top. So they're, they're absolutely essential. It's not like, oh yeah, we move on to the really good stuff. No, the good stuff was right there and we build even more good stuff on top of the good stuff. So just be careful when you see that. Let us leave it and move on. He's talking about building on the foundation. Now he gives us the clearest indication of what he means by kind of these basics of the faith, the elementary doctrine First of all, it's about Christ. It's about the Messiah. It's about Jesus. That, that at its center, what we believe centers around a person. It's around the person of Jesus who was the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the promised one of Israel who came and all that he did and it's all entailed in him. That the element, the foundation is Jesus. Right? And it's all entailed in there and then he talks about some specific things. Right? Of repentance from dead works of turning from, and again, I think this is where we're starting to see that he's looking at them and saying, you guys have started to slip back into this idea of the old covenant of, I just want a set of rules that I can follow. And I want it. And he says, no, we were, those things weren't able to rescue us in the way that Jesus' blood and righteousness can rescue us. So we turned from those things once. And the idea is that you guys are probably starting to turn back to them. He goes, we, repentance, right, to turn away from. We turned away from those things that couldn't give us life. They were dead. Instead, we turn to the things that could give us life. And what is that? He says, 
and of faith towards God. The word faith includes the ideas of like trust and allegiance. That you turn from, you know what, I'm, not, I'm no longer going to give allegiance and trust and put my, my faith in those things that I was doing, but instead I'm putting my faith in God, my trust in God. I'm giving God my allegiance so I will follow him and do what he says. And then he's got a couple things in here that are kind of confusing, right? Instructions about washings and the laying on of hands. And the people dispute kind of what's, I think at its root, what this is talking about is that in the early church, as people became a part of the community, there was kind of some rituals almost that they would do that included uh, baptism and laying on of hands. And it was a way of symbolically representing the fact that they had joined and become a part of the community. And he's saying, we don't have to redo all that stuff again, right? You, you became a part of the community. And then he, he goes on to two other things, the resurrection of the dead. We know it's just, it's crucial to what it is. That's a, an elementary issue, an eternal judgment. There are many that would like to tell us, you know, eternal judgment, it's, it's not, it's just God's loving and he's not gonna judge anybody. He says, no, this is one of the elementary principles for us, is the elementary, the eternal judgment for both the just and the unjust. You see, it's the resurrection of the dead, all the dead. And it's the judgment of all. Now, as we start to put this into the larger context of what we're looking at in the book of Hebrews, I think we see that one of the crucial issues for them was that they were turning away from the new covenant and wanting to go back into the old covenant way of thinking. They were wanting to let someone else do things for them. Right? They liked the idea of back when they were in the Old Covenant, they didn't have to worry about doing most of the stuff. The priest did it all for them, right? The priest kind of did it, and I was part of the crowd, and the priest could do that for me, and, and I just was able to stand back. They're acting like Old Testament states who stand off afar instead of New Testament saints that are able to draw near, right? And to draw near because of what Jesus has done. And it's not just nearness, but it's relationship. And God has offered them this relationship and they were rejecting that intimate relationship with God through Christ for something that was less. And as we've talked about, the old covenant was good, but the new covenant is better. When you turn from the better back to the good, it's no longer good. It has become evil. It is now now corrupting because you have this intimate access which now you have turned away from. And it reminds me of Jeremiah. God through Jeremiah sends this very sharp rebuke. In Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13, he says, for my people have committed two evils. First one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Now this this is people that live in a desert, right? And in a desert, if you see flowing water, that's like the best thing you're gonna see. If you see a fountain that's coming out of the rock and there's just, that's living water, that's flowing water as opposed to a stagnant pond, right? He says, they've turned away from me. I am like that living water that just flows out and is is beautiful and and refreshing and life-giving and they've turned away from me. That's the first evil they've done. And second, they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, if you guys have ever seen a cistern, you've seen water at the bottom of a cistern, especially as kind of the, the year's getting on and it's, it's getting towards the end of summer and there's just the stuff, it's the brackish, nasty water at the bottom. You see, Jeremiah's saying, that's what it's like. You, you had this flowing, refreshing, wonderful water and you've turned away from that for this brackish, nasty, dirty water. These are two evils. And I think that's exactly what we see happening with the, the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to. 
They had this this intimate access to God through Jesus Christ, and they said, you know what? I'm not sure I really want that. I think I just want to go back to the, and I, I want to be kind of lazy. I just want to go back into the place where I don't have to really think about things. And I started thinking about ways that we act the same way. Do you, often, do you ever look to other people to draw near for you? I think sometimes when we ask other people to pray, it's because we feel like we can't draw near. So we need someone else to do it for us. In particular, do you ever do that with a pastor? You feel like a pastor can draw near in a way that you can't. There's a place for calling for the elders to pray for you. Totally get that. But if you're doing that because you feel like you don't have access to the throne, you're thinking like the old covenant. You see, any way that we make a distinction between the clergy and the laity, that there are the the holy people that do ministry and that there's everybody else, we're thinking in terms of old covenant terms. That at the Reformation, one of the main points was that every single believer, no matter how young, how new, is a priest before God. The priesthood of all believers, and what that does is it changes everything about life. And I think we've still got an infection of this kind of old covenant reality that got propagated in the medieval church and it it still kind of lingers on down to us. Say, no, it it doesn't matter. The teachers are there. Paul says in Ephesians 4, teachers are there to equip everybody for the work of ministry. Right? We are all priests, every one of us that is a follower of Christ. And it really changes everything we do. I think another way we manifest it is, what do we call this room? The sanctuary. Or church, but we call it the sanctuary sometimes. I call it the big room. Um, sometimes we call this up here the altar, right? You make an altar call. It, those are all old covenant ideas. There's no altar. This isn't a sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. We, the people of God, are now the sanctuary of God. We are the living sacrifice, Romans 12, right? It's no longer on an altar. There's all kinds of things, I think, that go along with that. But on the flip side, maturity then looks for us, I think, living in light of the new covenant, of the realities of the access that we have through the new covenant, that we get to practice the nearness and access that we have to God each and every day, not just in an hour and a half on a Sunday or when Josh is preaching two hours. Um, you, you practice and you, you recognize you have access to God daily. Do any of you know people that like you'll be talking to them or you'll be driving a car with them and all of a sudden they just start praying and you didn't even really notice the transition other than they're like talking to somebody who's not there? I think that's, that's spiritual maturity. Those are people that know God and know God's there and so they'll be talking and then they'll just be like, oh Lord, thank you for that. That was so, thank you for that conviction. And you're like, wait, do we have to bow our head? Like, no, we have access and nearness to God that can just be manifested like that. It can affect everything, our work, right? Everything that we do at work, our entertainment, our relationships, that, that when we understand we have access to God and he's near to us, we, we can live out that relationship in a very special way. We can listen to God's promptings to, for us to do things, to, to say things to people and, and stuff like that. We can talk to God regularly, all the time, anytime, right? You, you don't have to wait to like right before a meal or before bed or at your quiet time. You can talk to God anytime. And I think that if you feel that restriction, sometimes even these disciplines that we have to try and help us grow in our nearness actually hinder our sense of nearness because we think, okay, I'm near to God when I'm doing my quiet time, but then I kind of go back to real life. 
Right? That's messed up. That isn't the way that it is anymore. In the new covenant, he is with us everywhere we go. I think of, in 1 John 2, he's talking about younger men and older men. And what he talks about older men, he says they know God. This is the characteristic of mature men is they know God. Do you know people like that? I mean, I know some people like that. It's like you just would say they know God. It's not that, wow, they they do these activities. And that's where I think we make a mistake is that we associate spiritual maturity with doing certain activities. Those activities may help us in those things, but they may hinder us. That true spiritual maturity is manifested by someone who knows they are near to God and they live that out each and every moment. You know, as I was thinking about this whole idea and thinking about how the gate is wide open to have access, I was thinking about back in December, so my, my daughter's a huge 21 Pilots fan. It's a band, if you haven't heard of them, I hadn't either. T.O.P., right? So back in December, she's 13, right? And they just, all these girls, oh. Um, so she says, hey, Dad, they're coming in concert. Can I please go see them in concert? So I get on the computer, and Carla's, my wife's like, yeah, I'll go with them. I'll go with all the girls. I'm like, good, because I'm not. Um, <laughs> last thing I want to do is take a bunch of teenage girls to a concert. Uh, and so you get on, and you look, and you're like, okay, so I can buy the, like, nosebleed seats for, like, $35, and then you can go all the way down to, like, you know, the full access back uh, stage pass kind of thing. And so, you know, I bought her the cheapest ones because I love her that much. Um, and as I thought about what if I would have bought her the VIP access and she would have gone and just went and sat in the nosebleed seats anyway, didn't actually go backstage, didn't even think about it. And I started thinking, like, that's kind of what it's like for us. We have a VIP full access pass to God, and yet what we do is sit in the nosebleed seats. I've been so convicted by this all week. I have, just, I have been asking God, forgive me for not making use of my full access pass. And I started asking myself, God, what is it? What is it about my heart? What is it that I, that I think about that, that leads me to this point? And I, I just started thinking, well, what would, what would it be with my daughter? It, it would be either she didn't believe she really had it, like, okay, Dad, you just printed this out. This isn't real. I'm not. And I come back like, what? You didn't use it? Like, I, no, I bought that for you. You don't believe it'll really work, right? You're going to get up there and they're going to be like, no, sorry, you don't, you don't get access. Might not really be as interested in seeing and talking to them as you think you are. You might even be afraid to talk to them, right? Because they're the famous band, and we think about our prayer life, it's because he's the almighty God. I'm afraid of him. I don't want to go talk to him. It might be that they were too busy and distracted. You know, maybe she got so caught up in the souvenir stand, you know, buying little trinkets that she didn't make use of the full access pass to actually meet the band, to meet Josh and whatever, Tyler? I don't remember. Good thing she's not here. She would be so mad at me right now. Or I think the bottom line one would be that maybe you don't actually love them the way you say you do. And as I thought about my prayer life, I realized those are all realities for me. Is it sometimes why I don't make use of my full access pass is because I either really don't believe that I get to do that, I don't believe it's really going to work, I get distracted by other things, I'm not really as interested in talking to God as I say that I am, or maybe I don't really, weigh, I don't really love God the way I say I do. And I look at the whole thing and I realize the cost 
you know, if I was to buy the VIP full access pass for my daughter, I don't know, probably a couple, few hundred dollars, I don't know. And then I think of the cost for the VIP pass that we all got. We got a VIP pass that cost, Jesus, cost God his son and the death of his son. And yet we still look at that and we're like, ah, I don't know, no thanks, I'm not interested. And it's just been incredibly convicting for me all week. And I just want to call all of us back to that reality of let's take, make use of the full access pass that we have. Let's, let's draw near to God. I think that's what God wants us to see. What does spiritual maturity look like? It looks like making use of that pass every day, every moment, just drawing near to him, knowing that he's near with you, that it's not just at a concert venue once a year. It's, it's every single moment of every day. That's where he wants you to be. And he says, look, and this is where we're going to go, verse 3. This is what we're going to do if God permits. If God is there to do this for us, he will be the one that helps us grow in that maturity. And just as we, as we finish up, if, if you're wanting to grow, if you're saying, I need help with that, send us an email. Todd referenced the Silo Project a couple weeks ago when you were talking about LGBTQ. Eternity Bible College, where I work, we, we put stuff up that's just there to help you grow in that way. If you feel like, you know what, I've become dull, I need to be sharpened again, there's sharpening tools out there for you. We would love to help you. But I think just most of all, let us just commit once again to drawing near and making use of that full access pass that was purchased with such a precious price. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us for not taking advantage of the amazing access that we have to you that even right now as we come before you to talk, that you, you are hearing us, but you have heard everything else that we've talked about. You've heard everything that we have thought as we've sat here, that the Lord, we just want to vocalize that, that we repent of our unwillingness to take advantage of what you've done for us. We want to be those that know you, that people know that we know you because we live in such nearness to you and, and we just have access to you that is manifested in everything that we do. God, may you take us as a body of people, and may we begin to be known as that kind of people, Lord. May we be those that that aren't known as those that are just still living on milk. And would the writer of Hebrews not write to us and say, you you, you need milk when you should be eating solid food, but may we move into that place of eating solid food, the solid food of, of nearness to Jesus and of nearness to you, our God. Lord, please forgive us and help us to walk in your grace and to walk close with you. We pray in the name of our Savior, our King, our one who purchased the access, Jesus Christ. Amen.